Well, we're beginning a new series here today called A Deeper Life Through Sexuality. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 is where we're going to start off here today. Let's just jump right into it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexually, sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Well, I remember the first time that I encountered pornography, I was a, just a young man, about 12 years old. Uh, we were stationed on a base in North Dakota, and I was going through the commissary on the base just looking for a magazine because I was learning to play guitar and wanted a guitar magazine. And so I'm on the lower shelf looking for a magazine, and I encountered something that was not a guitar magazine. It was one of the upper shelf magazines that had been previously covered in plastic. The plastic had been taken off. It's interesting. They put plastic on these magazines because certainly a child is, is no match for a little bit of plastic. And so someone had taken the plastic off, put it on the bottom shelf, and I remember this magazine catching my eye. And I was interested. I hadn't seen anything like it before. I picked up the magazine, and I'll tell you, those images are still in my mind today. It's interesting how those things start, they they stick with you. We capture those images. Side note, at this point in my life, uh, sexually distorted images were limited to just like a handful of pictures. Today, a 12-year-old has access to billions of images right on the phone they sleep next to every single night. And this is the world that we live in. I would call this world a sexually broken world. And you've got your own story about when things broke down, your story of fear, when everything was supposed to be beautiful and it wasn't beautiful, and, and then you were, you were scared of what you were becoming or, or what you had walked into, your story of wounds, these things that you had done or that had been done to you that shaped your sexuality for the rest of your life, your story of unfulfilled desires, somebody promised you it would be perfect and it wasn't. And you wondered, like, what is this supposed to be? It's not as I expected. And some of you, you have no story when it comes to this. And your story's still developing. But either way, we have brokenness all around us. And what I want to say to you as we start off this conversation over the next four weeks is I want two things for you. I want you to experience conviction and compassion. I want you to have both of those things in, in mind, conviction and compassion. And so I want you to know, if at any point you feel condemnation, I want you to realize that that's the work of the enemy, that that is not my heart or God's desire, because condemna- condemnation leads to death. Conviction leads to life and freedom. And so God wants us all to be convicted here today. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about these things. Today, I want to talk about three seismic shifts 
in creating a new framework for our sexuality. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, the transgender movement, and the church. And then the third week, we're going to talk about pornography and how we can get free from this addiction that plagues so many. And then in the final week, we're going to talk about singleness and how does a single person approach their sexuality. To start off today, I think we need to start with one reality. This kind of flattens uh, the curve in the room to make sure we're all at the same place, and it's this reality. We are all sexually broken. Everyone. You might be sitting here going, I'm the one with this story. I've made these decisions, but I'm actually going to make it even a little more weird here right now. And just ask maybe in the room, and, and I know I can't see all of you, but like, I want you to participate in this and engage in the room today. If you have ever seen a sexually explicit image, had sex outside of marriage, lusted with your eyes, had inappropriate thoughts about members of the opposite sex or members of the same sex, have done something to wound someone else sexually or have wounded yourself sexually, would you please right now raise your hand? I want you to know. Like, so I, I've got my hand raised. And, and so everybody with their hands up, they're the truth tellers. Everybody else, you're a bunch of liars. So that's just... If you're raising your hand, that's because you're being honest with yourself. And so I wonder for you, as you look at things, you might not be a Christian or this might be your first time to ACF, which is awesome. I'm sure glad this is your first time. But you might be thinking, like, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, aren't we doing better than we ever, ever have been? Aren't we just kind of progressing well in our society? And I, I did a little research this week and started finding some articles that have floated around from not Christian sources about our health as a society when it comes to our sexuality. The first one I want to put up is this graph, and it, it talks about the relationship uh, between uh, the dates, between the, the 1900s, beginning of the 1900s, and today, and the number of sexual partners people have had. And what you'll see is that slowly and progressively, people have had more and more sexual partners. Just a hundred years ago, it was very common for someone to have one sexual partner for a lifetime, which some of you are like, is that even possible? I promise you it is. And yet, this is something that we see, and at the same time, if you do a little research, what you'll find is that today, people are less sexually satisfied than ever in history. Once again, promises that they can't keep, right? Uh, the Atlantic wrote an article called, Consent Was Never Enough. And one thing that is kind of the, the current sexual ethic, which is that as long as it's two consenting adults, everything's fine. And what people, again, outside of the church are realizing is that this does not raise the value of humanity, but it actually degrades people. This other uh, article I found was from uh, an organization called Fight the New Drug. Like it or not, teenagers today are recipients of our sexual ethic. So, so if, you're, uh, if you have teenagers, if you're an adult, we are passing these ethics on to our children and one in three teenagers have received nude images of other teenagers, which means, listen to this, one in three teenagers have sent or received child pornography. Also, the cultural norm today is uh, cohabitation, right? Uh, you just move in together, and, and people have a lot of reasons. And the most common reason that people tell me they're moving in together is financial. Like, it just makes more sense financially, right? But the Wall Street Journal uh, released an article that essentially said that, that moving in together ends up lowering your net worth. That couples who have moved in together end up buying houses later, making less money, and generally speaking, they do not do better financially. And so, 
Again, if you're making decisions about your soul based on your finances, your priorities are all screwed up anyway. And so we got we to gotta see that as the reality. And this last one kind of, I, th- I think it really puts things into perspective. This was an article that was released about Bluey, the kids' cartoon. And it says, Bluey was criticized for not having disabled, queer, poor, gender, diverse, or diverse dogs of color. So we, we all, like, I don't know where you're at with all of this stuff, but you've got to look at something like that and think to yourself, how did we get here? I don't know, 20 years ago, would you ever have thought you would read something like that? But this is actually what's happening in our society, and this is called progress. This is what it looks like to to progress, and C.S. Lewis says it so beautifully. He says this, he says, progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turn, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. I want to propose to you that we've been walking down the wrong road. And people have been saying it's progress, yet we've been digressing as a culture. We've spent the last six weeks, if you've been around, talking about identity through the book of Ephesians. And just so you know, this has been engineered. We've done this on purpose because we knew that to talk about our sexuality, we first have to talk about our identity. And if you don't first know who you are, then you won't know how to operate as a sexual being. Mankind is in a desperate search for identity within ourselves, and it's led us to a place of sexual destruction. It's kind of like a train going off the rails. And it's interesting, societally we'd say, no, get rid of the rails, we don't need the rails, that's where we're going to experience the most satisfaction, but nobody ever criticizes train tracks, right, when you drive over them. We know that the train tracks keep the train going the right direction, and a train that goes off the tracks is a complete disaster, and this is really a great image that we could use about our sexual uh, situation today, is it's like, a, it's like a train that's gone off the rails. And it, did not, and it didn't start off wrong, and I want you to start with this. I don't know what your thought is about sexuality. I don't know if you grew up in the church, but I want you to know this, like God invented sex. He's a good God, Right? He could have created any other way of procreation. It could have been like, you know, you stick your arm in the dirt and then like a child pops out. But like, he didn't come up with that. He just said, you know, I'm going to create this thing and it's beautiful and it's enjoyable when it's on the tracks, when it's within the guidance of the scriptures. Genesis 2.23, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Translation, sex. They shall have sex, it says. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. The first commandment that God gives humanity is be fruitful and multiply, right? He's not talking about your math homework. He's saying, like, I want you to create more humans. This is my mandate to you. And now what did mankind do when sin entered the world? If you read on, what you're going to see is they hid. And specifically, it says they hid because they realized they were naked. It's interesting, the first moment of shame was really expressed in their sexuality. They noticed their shame in their sexuality, and I'm telling you, we have been feeling that shame ever since. And we've been dealing with that loss of identity ever since. Because of sin, I think what we've done is we've turned our sexuality into our identity. It's really become a god in our culture, whether we like to say that or not. And I'll say it this way, in effort to find peace, we humans often turn our places of deepest shame into idols. 
worshiping them with our resources and sacrificing ourselves and our children on their altars. What we do is we begin to worship the thing that we seek identity from. And when it's God, it's beautiful and it's going to lead to flourishing. But when it's anything else, including our sexuality, it will always lead to destruction. We've taken something good and we turned it into God. And this is what we constantly do as humans. Now, you might think, that's a little extreme. I don't know if it's God. Like, this is like our religion. But in Romans 1, Paul literally saw that happening in his society. And I think we see that today is that sexuality has become a god. I mean, I just look at the news and look at the things that people argue about. Look at the things that people are so passionate about. So much of it has to do with their sexuality. In Romans 1, I love the message translation. He says, so God, in effect, if that's what you want, he said this. God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us, oh yes. They traded the real God for a God they made. They created their own God on a search for identity. Once again, nothing in creation can make peace in your soul nothing in creation is worthy of finding an identity in god is not trying to limit you he is trying to liberate you and the tracks are there to serve you well and your children well and there's something many of you maybe know the history of the sexual revolution I, there might be a few of you in the room that were around for that but if you look back into the 60s, it's known as a time of free love and free sex, right? Like that was the, the gateway to what we wanted to experience. And it was, it was the gateway that we thought to the most sexually fulfilling life. And, and, and what it really has moved into is what today I would call the cult of self. And I talked about this in the beginning of our, our last series, something called expressive individualism. And this really, once again, is the key to our current sexual ethic. If you don't know what this is, here's the definition. The purpose of life is to find one's deepest self, normally through people's sexuality, and then express that to the world, forging that identity in ways that counter whatever family, friends, political affiliations, previous generations, or religious authorities might say. If you miss everything, don't miss this. You were never meant to find yourself. You were meant to know God and let him tell you who you are. You were never meant to express yourself in order to find yourself. God wants to tell you who you are, and that's where we will find peace. And over the years, the church has struggled to figure out how to respond to this. I don't know what your journey's been. Maybe you grew up in a church or a youth group where they just never talked about it, right? Right? Or maybe the message was this, like, sex is bad, so save it for the one you love, right? That's the, that's the message that a lot of churches fell into. Or maybe you were part of what's known today as purity culture, which there's been a lot of backlash on because what purity culture focused on was so much of your behavior. It was just all about your behavior. And honestly, what happened in many ways through purity culture is we actually, we actually turned sex into more of a God. Like it became the one thing that we were all about. And yet now there's this movement away from purity, which I'm just here as a dad to tell you purity is a good thing. It's okay. We can fight up against what purity culture was, but purity is a good thing. I remember as a youth pastor in the early 2000s, that seems like a long time ago, by the way, in the early 2000s, trying to teach some teenagers about uh, sex and sexuality, the messages that they were receiving. And we did this series where I'd show music videos, and then we'd have the lyrics from the videos on the bottom of the screen, you know, the lyrics that your teenagers say they never listen to. 
And as the video starts, they're all singing the words because they know the words. And then the words are at the bottom. And we just talk about that. Well, I made a mistake as a young youth pastor. I forgot to get parental permission for this series. So I remember a parent wanting to sit down for a meeting. And I thought, that's fine. I'll apologize for not asking them this. And so we sat down. And I remember the anger in this dad's eyes. And, and, and it wasn't just anger that he hadn't been asked, but I remember him looking me in the eye and saying this. He said, you have stolen our daughter's innocence. And it, what I found out in the conversation was that he had never spoken at any point about human sexuality to this, this, this young uh, middle school girl. She, she never had it talked about in the home. And so, uh, unfortunately, youth group was the first place, which I'm just telling you, don't let youth group be the first place your children hear about sexuality. And so... But this just kind of goes to show you that as parents, we, we struggle. We don't really know what to do sometimes. The question is, this, why is this such a big deal? Why can it be so destructive? Well, we read this in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, that every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. We know this, that uh, physical trauma hurts us, right? If you lost a limb, that'd be a big deal. If you couldn't use your legs, that would be a really, really big deal. But I have heard from people who have sexual trauma in their lives that they would rather lose a limb than deal with that sexual trauma. There is some kind of unique pain that people experience when they have sexual trauma in their lives. You see, the story being told to us today is this. It's just your body. You're just a bunch of impulses and chemicals mixing together, right? If you're hungry, you sleep. If you're, ti- or if you're hungry, you eat. If you're tired, what do you do? you sleep, and if you are aroused, just have sex. It's just a decision that you make with your bodies, but the result preaches a very, very different sermon. You see, you can't express yourself sexually with whoever you want and expect not to have a spiritual connection with that, per- that person. That's how God designed it. It's something to be enjoyed and experienced within the confines of marriage. And this is something, honestly, the purity movement actually got right was they did focus on the reality that you just can't continue to operate however you want in your body and expect not to experience damage from it. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, I hope there's a better way, Brian. Like, I hope there's something better than this. Good news, there is. There is through Jesus, through the Word of God, through the Gospel, there is always a better way. So I just want to lead you into that here in just a second, and, and give you kind of a, a framework to work with when it comes to our, our sexuality. And I want you to hear me once again, like this is not about tearing you down as a person. I, I think so often in the church, uh, there's a lot of people that have, have torn down people in love for their ide- ideologies. Instead, as the church, here's what we want to do. We want to tear down unhealthy I- ideologies and love people, right? We want to love them. Th- so this is about an ideology. This is about a belief system that is hurting people. This is not about you as a person. And so I want you to just kind of get outside of whatever your opinions are and just look at, once again, the question is, is it working? Is it leading to health? And is there a better way? And the answer is absolutely yes. So what's a better vision for our sexuality? One pastor, John Tyson, he talks about four pillars of Christian sexuality that I thought were really helpful. I want to share those. And the, the first pillar of this uh, is this, the story we all long for. We all long to be part and to give ourselves to someone, right, in a place of total surrender and unconditional love. You were meant to do that. Like God gave you that desire and it's a beautiful gift. It's a good thing to desire marriage. If if that's something you desire, that's a really, really good thing. Instead, what we've done is traded an epic love story for a 60-second porn clip. 
And everything centers on our own desires instead of giving ourselves away. And this is why pornography is so attractive to people, is it's all of the sexual expression in the moment with none of the commitment. You see, we all long to give ourselves to someone. We all long to be sacrificial beings. That's how God made you because that's who God is. A sacrificial, giving God. The second pillar of a better ethic for sexuality is this, a holistic orientation. Sex is meant to bring us together, mind, body, and soul with another person under the lifelong covenant of marriage. Instead, we've got hookup culture, right? That thinks we can perform sexual favors with the body devoid of the person, and we wonder why people who have so many sexual partners are so much more lonely than those who don't. And this is probably true of, of many of you in the room, that as you've sought out sexual fulfillment in other people, that the more you gave yourself away, the less connected you felt. And the more lonely you began to feel. And this is certainly the case because we want a holistic orientation. Sex is not just about your body. It's body, mind, and soul. Like you are not just a body. There's so much more to you. And, and, and that's just the beginning of the lie is that you're just some kind of body. But God gave you a soul. And sexuality is meant to bring all of those things together in a holistic way. The third pillar of a better vision for sexuality is that it's tied to our transformation. Having sexual desires could be considered both a gift and a curse. I think we all could agree, right? While we thank God for these desires, we also sometimes hate the temptations and we misuse them. But hear me on this, there is transformation in the tension. God will work in you through that tension that you feel. In fact, when we discipline our desires, what we grow in is what's known as the fruit of the Spirit. One of those fruit being self-control. And we just want, you might be going, God, fill me with the Spirit. I want the fruit of the Spirit. And God's going, I will, I will give you one of the fruit of the Spirit through your willingness to, to, to manage and submit your sexual impulses to me. Like, self-control is something that's, that's grown and it's learned over years, right? You see, you don't get the fruit of the Spirit without the power of the Spirit, but also without the willingness to walk the hard, long road of resisting things that will hurt you and pursuing the things that will lead to fulfillment. And that's, that's what we want to do, is we want to realize that sexuality, when, when, again, back on the rails, when it's on the rails, it will help transform you. For some of you, you're, like, you're single and you're like, I have sexual impulses, and you are restricting them. But what's funny is single people are always like, it must be nice not for you married people not to have to control your sexual desires. Can all the married people in the room just roll your eyes for a second? Because like, certainly that's not the case. Certainly even when you're married, you have to control your sexual desires. The fourth pillar of a new vision for sexual, uh, sexuality is this, a witness to the world. Our sexuality to, should bring us into a, a better story, should be a holistic orienta orientation, should help transform us, and should act as a witness to the world. Sexual brokenness, it's not, it's not new, but it is really normal in our society. And Christians are called to be a countercultural, subversive kingdom movement. And the way we treat our bodies and our minds and our hearts casts a vision to the world of a God who wants to rescue not just our souls but all of us, that there will be a one day a bodily resurrection and that all of these things are going to be brought together in a perfect union. And every single day, through the way that you express yourself sexually, you are either bringing heaven into this world or you're bringing hell up into this world. And that's through the things that you do. It's through the things that you watch. It's through the things that you participate in. I think one of the things that we know is that we need a bigger vision. And one of the reasons biblical sexuality 
leads us into more hope is it gives us a vision that's greater than ourselves. Marriage is something, again, is a representation of Christ and his love for the church. It's a bigger vision than just what satisfies you in the moment. And that is something that we all desire as people. So what needs to change? Well, I think there'll be a lot of things, but I have three seismic shifts that I want us to focus on as we move into the next few weeks. And, and really, these shifts are acts of repentance. And this is Jesus. He comes with this singular message that he brings over and over again. He says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, you need a, a different operating system. Repentance, that, 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 that Greek word metanoia, is to change your mind. Like it's time today that we begin for us, for the state of Alaska, for the people around us to change our minds about sexuality. This means thinking critically about the things we currently believe. It means being really honest about the realities of the things we think. We might not even know some of the things that we believe that they're actually kind of twisted. In fact, I just remember a story from years ago. My wife was getting a haircut. She came home and she was surprised by a conversation she heard from two Christian women that were cutting hair behind her. And one of them was talking about how she loves to watch pornography with her husband. And and they just kind of went on about this. They were laughing about it and they were celebrating it. And they just thought it was such a great thing. It was to them, you know, helping them to to grow in intimacy. And all she could think is, no, that's, that's that's tearing the intimacy that God has for you. And so, once again, I don't even think they realized what they'd bought into, but this is the story of the world. Hey, if you don't have intimacy in your marriage, just add a little pornography, right? Include another person, have an open marriage, like, do whatever you want, and this is not working. So as Christians, we need to begin to think critically about what we believe. We need to be willing, and it's going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward sometimes to say, hey, I'd like to second-guess some of what was just said there. Could, could Could we talk about what we believe sexually? Could we actually pursue what Christ might say about this topic? What if God's calling you? Not to condemn people once again, not to shame people, but to lead them into something better. That's what Jesus would do. And so what if we began to do that? So the the first shift I think we need to, to move so that we can begin to see some change in us, in our church, in our state is this. Culture says, you are your sexuality. Jesus says, you are my child. This is back to identity. And so what I want in the room here today, I want you to say these words out loud together with me. Say these words. I am, I am a, child a child of God. God. I am a child of God. It's something we sing. It's something we say a lot. It's something you might brush right past, but I just want you to know this is the beginning of you opening yourself to sexual freedom. It's knowing that you are first someone who is loved and chosen by God. It's interesting. Um, a lot of people would define themselves based on their sexuality. Uh, it's become really popular for people to have coming out parties. And this is a whole thing where someone will come out about a new sexual orientation. Their friends will throw a party. And it's a really, really big deal. Celebrating. Now the real you is being seen. Now why do they do that? It's because so often in our society, the way we identify people is based on their sexuality. Which, once again, I just want you to hear me. You are so much more than your sexuality. You, are, you have so much more value, and God loves you so much more than simply your plumbing. I want you to know that. Or your sexual impulses. There's so much more to you as a, per, a, a person. In fact, a coming out party is almost like a counterfeit to a baptism. 
Right? Baptism is when we publicly come out as followers of Jesus. And once again, we see this all the time that whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits, right? And so God created baptism. He says, hey, come out as a child of God. Come out as one who's been rescued from death into life. Like, come out as a new creation. The old is dead, the new has come. And this is the invitation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're here and you're like, Brian, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think I'm ready to give up this identity. I want you to know there's room for you here. In fact, a few years ago, we had two young ladies who were uh, married that were part of our church, and they sat down because they wanted to talk to some more pastors. And one of the pastors asked them, hey, why do you go to ACF? And their answer just, uh, I'll never forget this. Their answer was, because we feel loved here. And so I want you to know, man, you are so loved. And you are so valued and that, man, we want to be with you on the journey. We say this a lot. You don't have to believe to belong at ACF. You sometimes, many times, belonging precedes believing. And so what you need to know first is that you are loved right where you're at. But we want something better for you and God wants something better for you. As Christians, if people are not their sexuality, then here's our responsibility. We need to see them for more than that. We need to be careful with the way we see. I want you to think, when's the last time I spent real time getting to know, inviting into my life somebody who is of a different sexual orientation or has different views on sexual uh, things than I do? And what we'll start to find is that whether we have intended to or not, we have isolated those people. And, and, and yet, once again, look at the life of Christ. Who did he run to? The sexually broken, right? The woman at the well. These are people that Jesus was like, I'm not going to isolate from them, right? Because the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. And so I'm going to run to people who are sexually broken and be with them. If you want God to see you for more than your sexual history, you should probably see people for more than theirs. Shift number two is this. Culture says, express yourself. Just let it out. However it comes out, just express it. And that's great. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. So in the room, out loud together, let's say some words together. My life life is not not about me. me. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. But what do you do when you're in a conflict between your mind and your body? How do you move through that? And what does it look like? to deny myself and yet I have all of these different feelings and impulses that seem to be in conflict with one another and I'm just telling you next week is going to be no simple answers but we're going to walk through this in a deep way but I just want you to hear this. The truest version of you is not found through simply expressing yourself but through denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. This is a journey towards total integration in your life is becoming more like Christ. In fact, I'll tell you this, the truest version of you is not found in whatever expression of yourself you feel. It's found in looking more like Jesus. Like, like the journey towards becoming like, like Jesus is not a journey away from who you are. It's a journey toward who you are. And I think one of the values in our culture is that you would actually be you. What a beautiful value. That we would become who God designed us to be. That's a beautiful thing. But what's been twisted is that we've identified with other things and we've said, well, just express those things and that's how you'll find who you are. And Jesus says, no, you actually must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me and you'll become more like who you intend to be and who I want you to be. The narrative today has been, that's been given is give in to your impulses, right? Whatever you want to do. But the question that we must ask is how do I know which impulses to give in to? 
right? What if some of my impulses say, I want to sleep with a lot of women, and society says, more power to you, right? That's you. You feel it. You should do it. Now, let's say I have some impulses that give me road rage, and after church today, I go running people off the Glen Highway. You would say, do not give in to those impulses. You shouldn't do that. The question that I start to ask is, well, who are you to tell me that? Who, who has the power to tell me that some impulses are good and some impulses are bad and in the cult of express yourself, it never works, right? Because we're, all we're left with is personal opinion and cultural consensus and that is always changing. So what happens is you never really do know who you are because the way you express yourself today will be condemned in 10 years. And the way you express yourself in 10 years will be content, condemned in another 10 years and so you never really do find peace. You see, what people call sexual freedom today is just slavery to their desires. You think you're free, but you're actually just a slave to whatever it is that you feel in the moment. But Jesus wants to give true freedom, which is to be a slave to the Spirit, the only one who will give you actual peace in your life. Shift number three is this. Culture says, my body, my choice. Jesus says, you were bought with a price and you are not your own. And so when we start to follow Jesus, we surrender our right to ourselves. You have no right to yourself anymore. And you realize that like your body is not your own, right? You are own. You are bought with a price. And so say these words together as a church family out loud. Everything good, everything good. And, everything and everything bad I've ever done, I've ever done. belongs to God. Everything good and everything you've done that's bad, it all belongs to God. And that, that's what we're all, that's we're all really needing. And, and that, that's, that's where we can actually go to bed at night knowing that we're at peace with God is that we know that we don't have to do it right every single time. And that even in our rightness, God's not impressed with that. Even in our successes, God isn't impressed with that. But in the end, everything I have, everything I am, it belongs to God. It's not my body, my choice. It's I am bought with a price, and it was a high price. It was a high price, and I want you to just consider as we close the price that was paid. You see, back in the garden in Genesis 3, after man and woman realized they were naked, they hid. They had that shame that was centered around their sexuality, and it says this in verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I want you to think about this. Up until this point in their life, man and woman had never seen anything die. I don't know if you remember the first time you saw something die, but it's overwhelming. And we live in a broken, twisted world, but to live in a perfect world and to see death must have been shocking, like floored them to, to just see something be, be killed. And God takes the life of this first thing. God saw their shame and knew there must be a sacrifice. Instead of taking their lives, he took an animal's life. And don't miss this, that single death was what covered the shame of their nakedness. Later we read that Abraham takes his son Isaac by the Lord's command to be sacrificed on an altar. God provides a lamb in the thicket as a substitution, a sacrifice. And that blood of that lamb was, was then sacrificed and covered the sins of the people. Later, John the Baptist shows up, right? 
He's the forerunner to Christ, screaming these words to the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is that Lamb. He is that sacrifice. Hebrews 12 says, Jesus endured the cross, overcoming its shame. The shame of your nakedness was dealt with on the cross. And then in Revelation 5, we see at the end of the story with thousands of angels standing around the throne of God, worshiping, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Like Jesus came to deal with your shame. The price has been paid. In other words, you don't have to pay it. You just have to receive it. If you've ever wondered why Christians talk so much about blood and death, it's because once again, what the enemy intended for evil, death on a cross, God chose to use for good, resurrection to new life. Hear me on this. Whatever you've brought in today, God wants to heal, and it will always be part of your story. I can't tell you you won't think about it. I can't tell you it won't impact relationships in the future, but what was a story of loss and destruction can today be a story of hope and redemption. And that's where we'll leave it off this week, and we'll continue on in this conversation next week. I want you to grab your action card off your seat and I'd love for you just to pick a way to take a step forward today. Maybe you need to begin a relationship with Jesus and you're like, Brian, I'm just covered with shame because of decisions that have been made or even things today that you're not sure you're ready to give up. But I want you to know Jesus gave up everything for you. So once again, the sacrifice has been made. You just need to start by receiving that free gift of grace. Maybe you want some resources. I know what this does. It stirs up all kinds of questions and you know, maybe your parents in the room trying to parent your teenagers. Maybe you personally don't know what to do with your own sexual desires. And so our team has put together some great resources for you. What I want you to do is sign up for our text Devo. That number is going to be on the screen. And that resource will be attached to the Devo this week. And you'll, you'll see some of those different books and things that you can use. Also, maybe you need to share where you need healing with a friend. I, I would contend that in this room are probably a few people that have some stories that you have never shared. There's some things in your journey that have been affecting your life, maybe even your marriage for years, and you've just never told anyone. I just want you to know that what you keep in the dark cannot be healed. The the enemy is always about keeping things in the dark, but it's only by dragging things into the light that we can see Jesus' light shine on those things and and see healing in our lives. And so I want you to just have the courage and know that we're we're praying for you, that you'd you'd have the courage to share that story with somebody, a trusted friend, a leader, a small group leader, a pastor, but you start that journey. Maybe it's a counselor, but you begin that journey of just sharing what's been lost. And maybe this is you today. You want to receive a new vision for sexuality. Maybe your vision's been real small. It's just been personal satisf- satisfaction, or for you, you're like, just avoid it, it's bad. I just want you to know, man, it's a beautiful gift that God's given you. Maybe you need to reflect this week on those four pillars of your sexuality. Whatever it is, I want you to take a step forward and we'll see you next week. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this moment. God, thank you that you don't leave us where we're at, but you lead us into something better. God, I know there's a lot of stories in the room and God, I just can't imagine, um, but you can. God, you know all of where we've been and what we've done. God, you know what's being robbed from us. God, you know the lies that we still believe, the things that we're not even ready just to to release to you today. God, would you bring conviction where there's been condemnation? God, would you bring hope where there's been hopelessness? God, I pray that today would begin a journey, a beautiful journey of us being healed because you are a God of healing. God, thank you for our church and God, thank you that this is a safe place to struggle. God, we pray that we could be better next week because of what you've done through your spirit within our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.